In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. In an essay entitled Exegesis and Spirituality, Completing the Circle, Gordon Fee writes, and I quote, This then is what I think exegesis and spirituality are all about. Not separate or separated disciplines, but one discipline that requires us simultaneously to be good historians, that is, good students of the word, and good prayers. Good historians because the word is an incarnate word dropped into space and time in the most particular way. And we are not deists or Islamists who believe it dropped from the sky right into our laps. It's a historic word which requires to be historically unpacked to be understood. And yet we need to understand it as the Spirit breathed it through those who received it, as the Spirit interprets it for us as we receive it. The historic then, which is to determine not just what was going on in the world once upon a time, in that small part of it in which the events recorded in the text take place, but what the author's purpose was in recording it at all, and what is God's purpose in motivating both the event to which the text refers and the text itself. What is God meaning to do and with who? And are we among those, last but not least, in the chain that stretches through time and across space to whom God purposes this text to speak and speaking to bring something within us and among us into being, to bring the Spirit to inspire us in some way to action? Well, I've received Gordon Fee's wish, and today we're looking at the historicity of the spiritual, the historicity of demons, to be frank. Now, as students of the word, we must recognize that Jesus spends a lot of his very precious time on earth dealing with demons, so we'd better acknowledge that they meant something to him. As 21st century followers of Jesus, we must acknowledge right from the start the, the historicity of demons puzzles us. Now, the people of the ancient Near East lived in a many-splendored and multi-tiered world in which everything that happened happened because someone, not something, made it so. All causality was personal. This was true not just of God, human, and beast, but of the weather, the stars in their crystal spheres, Excuse me, and an array of non-human beings who, although invisible, made their presence manifest in different ways. At the top of this pyramid of power was God, the Spirit too. God the Most High and everyone else was under his control. One tier down were the other gods to whom scripture persistently and disarmingly refers investing them with some kind of ontological reality that evades and troubles us. There were also sons of God, whoever they were, and archangels like Michael or Gabriel, who comes to visit Mary with good tidings. One level down from them were lower non-human persons, angels, spirits, demons. 
Then, just a little lower than the angels, as the text says, humankind. Then, at the bottom, all the other creatures and the rest of the created order. Demons, therefore, were forces to be reckoned with, but persons nonetheless. They lacked extension, although they were invisible, and they were neither omnipresent, omnipotent, nor omniscient. They could watch us undetected, and although they could not read our thoughts, they could discern our state of mind from our actions, and they had somehow the power of suggestion. That remains very unclear, that crucial part. Perhaps it was we humans who were susceptible to their controlling influence by virtue of the strongholds we had established within ourselves. Strongholds is a good classical figure for the place that anything evil can take up at residence within us. Strongholds are, think of the architectural sense, structures, defensive mental structures in this case, which in situations of dire threat, the ego seeks to escape to, to survive. Our handiwork did not permit us to escape the slings and arrows of fortune, however, and the wounds we suffered made a point of entry for these malevolent beings to take refuge. Again, we erect the strongholds as a result of trauma most dramatically, but the demons use them to get hold of us. And as our lives move on and grow and change, and as Cardinal Newman said, growth is the only evidence of life, and to live is to change, and to be perfect is to have changed often. Let me repeat that again. To be perfect, to complete, be complete, to have truly lived is to have changed often. These structures within us, which we now call complexes, become more and more the weak points in our psychological and spiritual structures. Thus, we may find ourselves suddenly partaking in rash, impulsive actions, striking out in fear of death or grasping, clutching onto someone as if for dear life. If these disruptions interrupt the unfolding of our lives with frequency and severity, they truly take control of us, moving us from the mild neurotics that some of us are into full-blown psychosis. Something has broken and is in disintegrating within us, and something outside us is driving that process on. We try to wrestle back that control through addictions of all kinds. Substances are actions that we can count on to give us respite on demand. But the effect wears off, and the chaos returns redoubled to banish the order, the control that we cannot sustain. We may, through therapies, regain the illusion that we are in control of our lives. But when we get tired, stressed, or when something unexpectedly triggers us, it can be something quite benign like a sound or a scent or a tone of voice. Some childhood memory long repressed is forcefully evoked, and we are suddenly possessed. Once again, a curtain drops, and we're in some other world. And when those memories are entangled in a barbed wire web of guilt and shame, the impact extends beyond our capacity to contain, to control. Others are taken out or taken down with us by our irrationality. Relationships strain and are severed. What came over me, we ask later? What got into me to do that or say that? Well, 
Jesus comes as he did then to heal, to restore us to health, to restore his image in us, to bring us back from the wilderness, clothe us, let us take our place once more in the society of family and friends and get on with our lives. And the kingdom that he establishes is no defensive structure built on anger and fear. It is built on the knowledge of who we really are in him, beloved children who find their being in him and he in us. Jesus asks of us only that we seek to live a little more without the illusion that we are in control. That's all. We should all try it. Sometimes we have no choice. But the spirituality of the cross of Jesus is all about letting go, making ourselves susceptible to the spirit, to take over where our well-made plans are wanting, realizing that, as the apostle says, we are not our own. We were bought at a price, and there is nothing that we have that we did not receive as gift. And as we step forth from the guide rails and guardrails and handrails that the law has placed for our protection and live more boldly, more freely, more trustingly in the love to which the Spirit calls us, we will encounter other spirits, other forces moving against us. It never fails, like the wind stirring the waves up around our little craft blowing us back, tossing us to and fro, impeding our advance or rushing us on headlong into the storm. Demons may be, but working still with more than a little help from us, we are our worst enemies. We can cut our losses then and withdraw. I've always found that easier to quit and run, to take control again in the only way I can by the dashing to the ground, the hope of sharing the hope of what might be with someone else. It's the only victory I can extract and how the adversary delights in it. Demonic, we call it, and it is. But it's still and silent whispers and not sudden shouts of doom that push us over the edge. And it's the law lived large in life, the performance principle which says there are no gifts, you earn everything you get, and what you don't have is what someone else has got unless you get it from them somehow, anyhow. We are not locked into the logic of this life narrative, Jesus says. There is this thing called redemption, restoration. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that has not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people. God's arms reach out still to embrace, to bring us out of the stronghold of death, of our own devising into his kingdom of life. The tombs among which we wander are our own, dug out of the living stone for our own half-lived lives. Yes, we have our demons, and they will lash out and strike or reach out and clutch and take down with us the ones we love. And we will not forgive ourselves or those who first hurt us back before we can even remember. 
but we have a God who died and lives to forgive, even now interceding at the Father's throne on our behalf to grant us the forgiveness we have but to ask for, even if it waits for our last breath, who suffered the unsufferable at our hands so we might break, break free from the law that we could not break ourselves. Amen.